One of the positives of our unusual times is that a lot more working fathers are at home and contributing to the education of their children, and that is a beautiful thing. Today, our guest is the very clever creator of SmartCatholics.com, homeschooling dad, Dominic D'Souza. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and today's topic is a smart Catholic homeschooling dad. <laughs> and our guest is Dominic D'Souza. Dominic is a cradle Catholic passionate about how faith, history, and science meet in today's world. Born in New Zealand, Dominic was raised in Australia. He studied in Fiji and France and now makes his home in the United States. You can find him at DominicD'Souza.com and SmartCatholics.com, and those are both in our show notes. Welcome to the program, Dominic. Thanks for having me, Lisa. It's good to be here. Oh, yeah. Thanks for making the time. You are one of the busiest people I know, entrepreneuring and homeschooling and growing in your faith. Would you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what your life looks like? Oh, my goodness, what it looks like. Well, um, so I was homeschooled, and uh, I definitely attribute a lot of uh, the crazy right now to the freedom that homeschooling brought me as a as a kid. Um, I'll tell you what, though, I uh, really hated religion class, right? It was just boring <laughs> as anything. I actually even took my, this, this big, beautiful leather-bound book on that I was supposed to be reading for the catechism. I hid it behind the TV in the living room hutch uh, so that I could just get out of that class. What I did love and where I spent most of my time growing up was reading books. Um, I read the local library dry, um, I was the kid who had the 300 books in the garage and shelves, and I was loaning books out to other, you know, homeschool families. And when I wasn't needed for anything, I was sitting on top of the shed at the back of the garden under the jacaranda trees, and then just devouring books. And it got to a point where um, I bought one little book from, it was like a, what, what do we call it? In Australia, it was called Good Samaritan. It was... Um, like a Vincent de Paul secondhand store. And I was, every time my mom went there to shop, cause there were eight of us kids and I was the eldest. So she shopped at thrift stores. Mm -hmm. And while she did that, I went to the book section and she was awesome. And she'd spend like five bucks and I'd get 20 books and whatever. And um, a lot of them would be classics, that sort of thing. One of them was a novel written by a 13 year old boy named Joshua. And um, it had his photo on the back and it was a fantasy novel about some boy who was prophesied to do this and that. And it went on for 30, 40 pages or something. And I read that I was 13 over and over and over again. And I thought if he can do that, I can do that. And so I went and wrote my first novel as well. And it was about like 50 pages and then rewrote it multiple times and tried to turn it into a series over the years. But because I had, uh, my parents encouraged us to be artistic and, you know, free, uh, sort of follow with those pursuits, it gave me a, a love and a hunger for, for learning and then to put myself through things that I was interested in. Um, so fast forward, I think towards my high school years, um, I loved art, painting, sketching. I was into comics and, and uh, uh, anything sort of creative and so on. And all the rest of my siblings were starting to you know, follow suit. And um, my dad needs, needed someone to help with graphic design. 
And uh, he at one point took a two week trip to Europe and he bought me a front page Bible. Front page used to be a technology you'd use to build websites. And he's like, I need a new website and I need someone to learn graphic design. You have two weeks, figure it out. And wow. uh, I just, that, that it was a fun challenge. Um, up to that point, all I had was a manual from the 1960s, the Mad Men era on how to create advertisements and do design and cartooning. And that's what I was used to. So it then felt like, wow, what an upgrade to do this stuff on the computer, which had been normal for about like 10 years already. Um, <laughs> but I sort of put myself through that and learned it. By the time he got back, I was kicking HTML around and, and you know, a couple of years later, I ended up rebranding and, and discovering, wait, I love what branding does for a business because you're telling that business's story. And then uh, it just started, I mean, looking back, I can see how it snowballed when I was in it. Of course, it just took forever and I couldn't see where anything was going or how I'd end up. But 10 years later, I'm now passionate about marketing and graphic design and branding because all of it is about telling a story. Um, and all of that was only possible because I had been given freedom to pursue what I was interested in. And I made time for things that I loved. Perfect case in point was I was in college and we had the freshman elections coming up. And I thought, wouldn't it just be fun if we treated this like, like real elections? Like what if there were campaign posters, you know, put up for this sort of stuff? What if we pretended to take it seriously? And so we printed <laughs> out like six sort of full color presidential looking posters. And it was all really silly. <laughs> we broke the college the next year because the students just papered everything, you know, to try to outdo what the bar that had been set. Now, I don't know what has happened since, but that ended up actually landing me a job with Seton Home Study School because somebody <laughs> saw those and said, hey, I'm a designer. And so I ended up working with Seton for four years. Wow. And um, uh, since then, I've worked with different startups for websites and so on. And as COVID hit, it just started making sense to me. I want to do something for the church and I don't know what it is, but I guess true to my past, I'm just going to try and just do it. And I'll, you know, learn by failing forward. And then so smart Catholics was born and this just sort of taken off. And, um, but I think homeschooling has this, this distinct gift. Um, and I don't say that blindly because I've been in and out of the school system. I've done private schools. I did a year in a private boarding school in France um, and then homeschool with co-ops and then sort of self-paced, you know, without my parents telling me what to do, you know, and just corresponding because I did Seton through my high school years. So there's been a variety of, of different experiences. So, uh, you know, working with Seton and then the last year or so, I've been fortunate to help launch the um, and work with the Catholic Homeschool Network and their community and their conferences online, and then their vision for the future of homeschooling, uh, and then also rebuilding the Homeschool Connections website. So there's the, the homeschool experience and landscape has changed so quickly. I'm incredibly grateful to, I guess, have start building that future. You know, being a part of all of this. Um, so you should probably stop me at this point, but that's, that's, that's where it's going kind of uh, from, from where I've been. I don't want to stop you at all. I think our audience is enjoying this so much because it, here's that kind of almost typical kind of 
a precocious kid, being encouraged to be precocious, having a lot of experiences that are different, having the freedom to just be hungry for knowledge and learning and creative expression. And now here you are, a father with all these entrepreneurial uh, plates spinning, some really amazing ones that are all interconnected with your love for the church and a desire to give back. Um, tell us about Smart Catholics. What's the concept and what does it do? Great question. <clears throat> the um, Smart Catholics has emerged out of my own hunger and passion for trying to understand how to be a Catholic in the modern world. Um, it's very different to 50 years ago, to 150 years ago. And um, my journey in wanting to, like I said, I, I ran away from catechism as a kid. It was just boring. It was all just <laughs> memorizing. But what was interesting was mythology. I want to learn about everybody else's religion. And then as I got older, beginning to realize uh, Genesis as, you know, our oldest um, even though it was written later, but it's our oldest, you know, mythology. I sort of didn't realize I was practicing, I think it's like an Ignatian approach, like trying to ground myself in what could have happened moment by moment within the first, you know, chapters of Genesis. And then I also realized I love science and I, I'm terrible at math and physics, but I loved the, there was one book called uh, Lawrence Krauss wrote The Physics of Star Trek. I learned more from that book than from the two years with my poor physics teacher who gave me extra tutoring and so on, poor guy. I couldn't internalize it, but that book made sense because it was rooted in a, in a story and it was a little more imaginative. Um, and so I'm, I've got this growing fascination with physics. And uh, my dad gave us this long love of history, you know, the Middle Ages, ancient history, ancient Rome. And the more I learned about that stuff and and I kept wanting to understand, well, how does it begin? How does it get older? They were, they were very clear that mythology for them was absolutely on the ground real. Well, what does that mean? And, and how does Genesis fit into all of that? So I spent kind of the last 10 years as an adult trying to take all of that more seriously and dig into that. And what does the church say about this? And who have I not yet read? And um, there's just this our past century has kind of exploded in terms of how all of that thinking and research has has come together and the church has been redefining how she expresses her role as mother and guide uh, in all these different fields. So that sense of how to be a modern Catholic or how to be a Catholic, uh, intelligent, smart, you know, attractive, um, authentic, within this weird modern context that's just kind of all over the place. It's not an easy task. And I don't have all of the, you know, the answers, but there's a lot of really, really fascinating discussions that can be had. So all of this is, was growing in my heart. And um, early 2020, right as COVID was hitting, or I guess really settling in, somebody approached me and said, hey, could you help facilitate an online conference? And I'd never done it before, but I figured, well, it can't be that hard. I had no <laughs> idea what I was talking about. It can't be that hard because I could imagine just doing it. And so I said, if you, um, uh, the, these two people, if you help me do it, I'll give it a go because I don't ever want to start another project on my own again. I've done that way too many times. And if anybody's interested, you can look at my LinkedIn profile and it's a happy graveyard of all kinds of projects that didn't fail or sorry, that didn't work out. They were all good because I learned from them, but I was just, I was burned out. 
Mm. So I committed to it and we reached out and we, we lined up a whole bunch of speakers and it was actually incredible. We branded it as a renewed hope. Um, I was trying to be funny and, and sort of riffing off of Star Wars, but it actually is now has become a part of my own journey in the faith is to nurture a renewed hope about, about everything, you know, not, not like counting down to the kingdom, but building the kingdom now and finding our own way to do that. Anyhow, a couple of weeks, oops, a couple of weeks into the process, they both had to back out because life commitments just exploded. And here I was holding the bag and I thought <laughs> I can either drop this or just see where it goes. And so I ended up just seeing where it goes. And it was so cool. It We had like 600 people showed up and 60 speakers and we ended up just making it work. And that's when I began to realize I love working in this space. How can I keep it going? And uh, someone at the end of that conference said, hey, you want to run my own? I just wrote a book. And so I thought, well, sure, I'll handle the work if you help make it happen. Zion, so don't bail on me this time. And it's like, <laughs> okay. And so uh, that ended up working. And at the end of that, I realized we need a community. These people coming together want to keep coming together. Conferences don't build a community. They build like information sharing. So I launched Smart Catholics. I had no idea where it was going to go. Um, we just hit our first year, our first sort of anniversary this past April. And to commemorate that, I've launched a monthly little magazine and we're all as true to form. I'm every month testing something new to see what sticks, see what I can learn, see how we can help Catholics and help Catholic speakers everywhere. But the goal is, is now still the same. The, the name itself, Smart Catholics, is a little effort at evangelization because there's a lot of people who do not think of Catholics as smart people. Uh -huh. um, and the general impression of, of the culture is um, you're, you're small-minded or you're uninformed or, you know, whatever. But, but Catholicism is absolutely and incredibly rich in terms of intellectual contribution, mystical, spiritual contributions to the world. Um, so how do we regain that? How, how if, if we're in an age of smart devices, smartphones, smart homes, well, how could we be like smart Catholics where we integrate everything and we aren't afraid of everything, but we don't lose sight of the contribution and the renewal that we're meant to bring to the world. So, so that's kind of a, a big overview to, to dial it in what it is. It's, we're the fastest growing community online in support of uh, Pope Francis and, and his visions uh, or his vision for his papacy. We're built on a culture of kindness and learning, and we're committed to the idea of being a first responder. So not just sort of scholastic people who thrive on details and learning, but actually learning things that then impel us to reach out to friends, family, and followers and, and actually create that human connection. Because if everything we learn only stays in our head and never transitions down into the lived experience of a life and witness, right? If, if your witness and words aren't connected, well, you're not a credible witness and nobody's going to care about your words. Um, but uh, it's, it's not smart to simply learn and know and then be, you know, an unattractive uninspiring, you know, witness as I think it was St. Teresa who said, uh, Lord, save us from sour faced saints, right? So <laughs> yeah. there's a lot to learn. And, and sometimes the more you learn, the more depressed you can sometimes get. And, and I think that's 
that's what we need to turn around. How do we reinvigorate smart people to feel confident and, and magnetic uh, first responders to the world? Beautiful, beautiful. And I, and I want to just clue everybody into this really magnetic uh, and very uh, capable and inspiring young man is also homeschooling dad. And sometimes when we have met in the past, I, I see your little girl in the background with her books and papers and things that she's doing. And you sometimes will pause to speak with her and keep her on track or answer a question. And and so, this inspiring vision that comes from your having been homeschooled, uh, having really marinated in where God has called you to explore and to, to connect with the passions that He's woven into your being, your own talents and intellect and drives. And now you are, are overseeing the development of this beautiful little girl, this precious person. Tell us a little bit about you know, how long you've homeschooled and, and what's, that, what's that been like sharing your own journey in the home with your little girl? It's been wonderful and, and I wouldn't have it any other way. She just turned eight uh, yesterday. Uh, we call her Peanut. Um, oh. From the moment she was born, she took every ounce of <laughs> strength and fire from me and her mom. Uh, and her her mother is part uh, a little bit of German. There's some Dominican Republic in there. I'm German Irish, so there's a lot of very strong willpower, you know, in there. And she <laughs> took both of it. So we have been fighting with her every <laughs> since day one. Um, My mother-in-law calls that a strong spirit that she'll um, need out there in the world because my strong-spirited little girl challenged me to my core, and I had to learn to be a better, more patient mom from other homeschooling moms. But it did encourage me when she said that. That strong spirit, then, is mm-hmm. needed out in the world. But please, go on with your story. No, I just that, think that's I, it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> last thing that I ever, ever want is for her to lose that fire um, yeah, because... Yeah. Well, it's it's who she is. She just needs to point it in the right directions. Um, and that's so th- what she has taught me has been more than I can remember um, in and just growing up in a large family and being uh, being a dad to her and learning, gosh, how do you say this? It's kind of like she's evangelizing me. Um, as the Holy Father calls us to go out and be evangelized by the poor and by contact with the stranger. Well, being because I work from home, um, it's actually kind of hilarious. I remember growing up thinking, all I want is, I think I should just go be a monk um, because <laughs> that's how I'll be holy and I'll have, <clears throat> I'll have plenty of time to uh, read and, you know, just sort of pray on my own. Well, <laughs> God called me to marriage and then he put me in a cloister, uh, in a little cell with, with my family. So, um, and then he's given me my little girl. I think I would probably be a very different person, probably a terrible person if I had gone on to sort of live my own life on my own terms, being in a way compelled to every day choose to be a dad, um, for her and husband to my wife has saved me from a lot, saved me from myself, um, because it's challenges, it challenges me to take them seriously, to be present to them. Um, 
and to see what it is that they need from me. So I'm still learning. It's going to take me a long time, but I think it's working. I think we're, you know, we're, we're figuring it out. My wife holds me to task. Um, you know, we, she and I talk constantly. That's been a, a saving grace for, for us. We're, you know, trying to keep that, that united presence for the little one. Um, but she has grown up into this intensely smart little kid. Uh, and I think what's just because we've had to move around a bunch and, and we finally kind of settled for a little bit, um, we've had to choose homeschooling. It's just been the best option uh, for us. But uh, what we've done is, is found our own path uh, in homeschooling. And again, that's why it just uh, works as a life option for us because it gives us that freedom and it gives her the, the flexibility. Um, to For a little bit of context, my wife has been grappling with Lyme's disease for the last sort of 10 years and she's been emerging from that. So she's been convalescing. So she doesn't have the, the time and energy to school her and to be present to her for eight hours a day. And I work. So we had to find something else. And um, basically what she ended up doing is uh, crafts and artwork and drawing and reading. And we found her a couple of apps and um, that would read stories aloud to her, would take her through like preschool craft activities and so on. And then we would try to monitor the amount of time that she would do on that each day. Um, now, as she's getting older, she's doing different apps like, um, what is it? ABC Mouse is one of them that she absolutely loves. Where she, sp she spends, because it's self-directed, she spends most of her time uh, reading, being read to, and um, doing crafty things, you know, following the, she, she loves science. She loves reading. This girl can read like there's no tomorrow. And it's just, she's just blows my mind. She and I, you know, we'll wrap each day and I'll read to her, um, uh, a, like a fairy story, or we're, you know, we work through chapters of like novels and stuff like that. And then we'll pray together. And she's internalizing all of this and very, very quickly deciding what she likes and what she's good at. And, and she's found that energy to keep doing what she wants to do. For me, that's encouraging because for a lot of my schoolwork, I had, my parents had to hold my nose to the grindstone because I didn't want to be there. You know, I wanted to be doing what I wanted. Um, now there's all kinds of other, you know, like the, the structure that we were in maybe didn't work for me. And my mom didn't have the time to like, I don't know, custom make it for every kid. And so in one sense, I've got the one child and I can focus on her. And uh, that's what God's given us at this point. Um, but the fact that she has, she has the freedom to follow the interests that have, have chosen her. I mean, in a way you don't choose your interests, they choose you and, and you sort of respond to them. And I don't quite know how that works, but God does. She has um, this, this incredible passion for creativity and for the arts and for science and for learning and so on. Where that goes, I don't know. But I think the setup that, that we've uh, established for her, where we've got schedule every day, and um, she'll start with handwriting in the mornings. She doesn't like doing her handwriting when I tell her to do it. But she will spend, <laughs> she's burned through all of my printer paper in creating her own comic books. And she'll write and write and do book one, part two of 
princess going on this journey and it's like everything is she doesn't stop creating the creativity is incredible um i think that that's a gift that homeschooling can can give kids um because it's like the tortoise and the hare in the classroom a teacher can't be present for everybody's learning styles and so the hares end up losing out or they can because the the class has to match the pace of the tortoise um but when you can when you can allow kids to move at their own pace well if they've got jet fuel then they'll go as fast as they need to or want to and the fact that uh, I'm grateful to have the kind of life that we do means I get to cook the meals every day you know three times a day I'm stopping work and sitting around the table and asking her you know what are you learning what did you dream about what's your next story you know and she's just she's like can can I share with you what I just saw today and she doesn't stop talking you know so i need to sort of run away to go to work and sort of you know, get away from it all and decompress <laughs> at work and then can go back and allow her to kind of just communicate and express and and you know keep her directed so mm. kudos to you um in that relational piece of just being sensitive to her need to kind of download that. And, and a lot of really bright people, a lot of really driven people gain clarity through processing aloud, through just having someone really listen to them. It does them an enormous amount of good. And her also having space the way you did. I mean, you would claim your own space hiding out on that shed on, on the family property She's claiming space in, in within a structure that you've created for her. That's that safe place, that little shed kind of tucked away in, in the cloister of your home. And you can just see how her drives are flourishing in that and the encouragement and, and that routine as well. I think sometimes we can be afraid with really creative kids to create too much structure or routine, but children actually thrive on it. It makes them feel safe. And so just want to affirm, you know, Everything that you're doing is just kind of lighting me up as a mom and saying, wow, that, that really just sounds great. And, and thanks be to God that you and your wife are able to keep that unified front with a strong-willed child. So important that the marriage not be divided by that and, and be creating out of the uniqueness of your own relationship and conditions and all of that. It's just so gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we're... Uh... It is a work in progress. And honestly, a lot of what it is, is um, um, allowing, allowing what happens, allowing the moments to prompt self-reflection, right? Because the way that we humans work is as, as we grow up, we internalize, we internalize everything. Most importantly, we internalize what's modeled. Uh, so for better or for worse, however our parents are, we internalize how they approach things and they are modeling what they were shown, you know? So I think it was Jordan Peterson who said, speaks about, you know, humans as being this phenomenal mimicry subjects, but you're not just dealing with patterns that your parents gave you. You're, you're kind of dealing with the ghosts of, of maybe, I don't know, five, 10 generations, you know? And if you run around through life unreflective and not actually paying attention, you, there's a whole lot of dead wood in you that's just been passed on. And it doesn't even have to be through words. It's just um, acting out the patterns that were shown to you as a child and that you picked up from other people in your life, people you respected, people you followed, 
things that you've seen and so on. That's how we get through life. Even if we can't articulate it or think about it is we just, we do it, we act it out. So there's a lot of dead wood in us that if we never slow down and think about, and the last 10 years, I have sloughed off a ton of dead wood, um, you know, because I have all kinds of things that I've inherited. And I got my own problems that I regularly try to run away from dealing with. My wife doesn't let me. I tell you what, if I get to heaven, it's going to be thanks be to God because of her. Um, <laughs> and then God, hopefully likewise. But she doesn't let me stay the way I am because it hurts people. It hurts me. It hurts the family. you know. And I have to change. And I have to grow. And the, the human animal part doesn't like that. We run from it. You know, change is painful. Um, but my little girl is more beautiful than my need to stay the same. So, and I love my wife more than I love my own, you know, my, my own ego. And that's kind of the point of marriage. Marriage is not losing your freedom or giving up your freedom. Marriage is having, I believe marriage is choosing to put your waking freedom in love of somebody else. Every day, you're still perfectly free, but you're choosing where you're going to put yourself every single day. Um, I think that sense means a lot because the moment you take away somebody's freedom, you take away their ability to act. You take away their ability to change and choose. So for me, thinking about it that way, choosing to be here, I have to change and get better and improve. So that, you know, little one has a tantrum, my wife and I have an argument, something happens at work, allowing those to be moments to think about what, what, what does the wiser self have to say here? You know, what is my inner child running around ranting at? You know, <laughs> how do I need to, how do I need to get wiser? And even if it doesn't make total sense, at least how do I need to start acting so that it does start making sense? You know, Ooh, that's a good point. Mm. So there we go. Yeah. So um, I get the sense from what you're describing. This is such a powerful place to be together when we're talking about ourselves and our families and the journey that we're on. You you have these experiences, a conflict, something that you know really ignites an internal storm of some sort what is your mechanism for that reflection when you have all these pressing demands on you what takes you into that reflective place so that you can productively kind of be with be with yourself in and, and i'm assuming that sense of the holy spirit and and what's being revealed in in your soul uh, short answer is my wife saying we need to talk <laughs> um and we don't really have arguments. We have course corrections. That's how I put it. <laughs> but um, what is that process? So most of the time, um, most of the time I, I ignore <laughs> stuff and I rationalize it. You know, I'm incredibly busy and she shouldn't have to act that way. And then, you know, I demand respect and whatever. And my wife sits me down and is like, no, no, no. You know, I... You're, you're a heady, intellectual sort of guy, and yet you still miss a whole lot of really, really important stuff. Uh, that's why I need her in my life. Mm. Um, so it'll often start like that. Um, and then, then I just need to sit with it 
And a lot of the time, um, uh, I, for a period of my life, I was incredibly scrupulous. And I don't exactly know how I worked out of it, but I just learned to relax and to calm down and accept the fact that I was imperfect. And, and that, was, that was a sea change. So the more, so we, I mean, we used to argue a whole bunch when I was, you know, in our early, earlier years, because I needed to do a whole lot of changing and, and a whole lot of growing. And uh, we were both learning to adapt to each other. Um, it's a lot easier now for me to accept criticism um, and, uh, and to actually be comfortable with the fact that I'm not perfect. And oh my goodness, I couldn't have said that 10 years ago because if I had to be perfect or, you know, you're not getting into heaven unless you're perfect and whatever. And I also had a very, very big head on my shoulders, big idea of myself, <laughs> but realizing now that actually it's okay to be imperfect because I can't save myself. And I have all kinds of thought patterns and, you know, things acting on me that I've just inherited. And if I don't take the time to just um, be calm and actually think about things. So those sort of liminal moments between falling asleep at night, you know, waking up in the morning or uh, washing dishes. Um, well, actually washing dishes is when I like queue up podcasts and stuff. So like mowing the lawn, maybe that's when it's too loud to listen to anything. It's moments like those when I'm forced to sit quietly I probably need to meditate or, you know, contemplate a lot more, but it's moments like that when I get a moment to be still. And then all of a sudden my pattern looking brain, pattern searching brain starts making things come together and connect and I can start seeing new things. Um, that or prayer, uh, saying the rosary. Um, and then in my case, it's writing. Sometimes I just need to write to find out what I think. And I'll get to the end of an article and be like, I had no idea that was in there, but <laughs> it just needed that. I mean, that's a form of meditation is to sit and write and pull the thread on an idea and see how far it goes. Mm. Um, or just sometimes I'll go and I'll do some shopping and I'm just brain dead and I don't have time to, I can't take another podcast and I don't want to listen to music and just sit in silence and sort of float in and out of prayer and then the things that are really, really important start to kind of bubble up um, and then, you know, demand attention. So mm. I'm not sure if that answers your question. Oh but my goodness. That was an incredible answer to the question. Um, yeah. I mean, some people set, literally will set alarms on their phones to just get up and walk away from what they're doing. And maybe they're getting their steps, but they're also having a quiet moment to just let things bubble up or like we're all so different what works for us. Some of it is happening incidentally. Sometimes it's that intentional writing to pull on a thread and, and to see what's coming up. Or, um, or those moments, as you said, which was so touching to allow your experiences within the family to evangelize you, to speak to your soul. Um, that's so rich. And that just that awareness uh, can, can yield so much hope. I think so. I think so. There's yeah. um, this beautiful little line. <clears throat> I can't remember what book it was in that Chesterton wrote. But um, Cheston said something. I think he must have seen a little girl either dancing or playing in the mud or something. I can't remember what it was. Maybe dancing. 
And he, he then reflected on that for five pages as he does. Yeah. And, um, and he said something like for a little girl to be able to dance in the sunlight, uh, she needs something like a mother who is free to create the space for her to have a yard to do that, you know, or, or a, a parent, a dad working from home, whatever. For that to be able to happen, the other spouse or partner needs to have a job needs to have stable work, stable income. For that to be possible, there needs to be a, a society where work is possible and it's mutually enriching. And then for that to happen, you need a state to regulate commerce and law and so on. And for that to happen, and so he just sort of goes up through all the levels of analysis, but he's like, all of that needs to happen so that little girl can dance and play in the sunshine. And I think mm-hmm. I read that, I don't know, seven years ago. And I looked at at my little girl and realized, dang it all. That's the point of everything. She's the point of everything. Her being able to be free to discover God through all of his creation, discover God as he wants to communicate himself through her, um, and then discover her own ability to be free to choose him. I don't know uh, if you've heard it, but Jordan Peterson interviewed an SKP from um, uh, North Korea. Oh, wow. And hearing how traumatizing and, and, and terrible that little girl's life was. And then looking at my little girl and realizing, I'm grateful every single day that she gets to have this. And you know, it's funny is I think I struggle with a sense of survivor's guilt about being in the first world when there are so many others who don't. And this is why, this is why fairy tales are important, why Cinder, the story of Cinderella is so incredibly important because she has everything taken away from her and she's beaten her entire, you know, her entire life. Her identity, you know, identifies with this terrible situation. But then an opportunity comes up where she's given a chance to do something different with her life. And a prince invites her to marry him, whatever. Um, how many people are given options in their lives and they stay with the devil they know because it makes sense and because making a change would be wonderful and just more terrifying than they're ready for. And the story like Cinderella ends with her saying, yes, I'm actually going to take this chance because I don't identify with, with, with where I am and, and my sense of Stockholm syndrome or whatever, to be able to give that kind of story. Cinderella didn't have a sense of survivor's guilt. Oh, there's so many other poor, sad people in terrible situations. I should kind of stay where I am and make the best of it. She had the opportunity to improve her life. And so she did. And I think us in the first world, we grapple with this. We have an incredible amount of privilege that, that we're born into. I don't think that we should take that lightly or have a sense of survivor's guilt about it. That is something to appreciate and then to put to service. Uh, how can we help others? That I think is our calling in the first world, our charism. Um, and so in that same way, there are a ton of people who live terrible, deprived lives all around the world. I'm so glad that she gets to have what she has. and I get to have what I have and I can get, you know, work from home and raise a family and have running water and self-actualization and Netflix and whatever. (laughs) But that's actually what's important about life. 
that is the point of everything is to help everybody get to this base level. Anything sort of below this is, um, uh, it contributes to the, 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 the decomposing of the human spirit. I mean, anything less than the freedom to be free doesn't allow the human thing, the human person to, um, not just define who they are, but begin to understand who they're called to be. And up until 100 years ago, the majority of humanity never had that chance. Now, now we're beginning to. Now we're wasting it, sure. Um, and we're using it in all kinds of silly ways. But that doesn't, doesn't negate the fact that there is an incredible amount of good. And that, that is the point. That's what we're all called to help create is this, this world where we can rest right? Where it's not just the cross, but it's also Eden. It's also the resurrection. And that's the point of the kingdom. That's what we're called to build. Mm, I love it. As, as we wrap up, I just want to thank you so much, Dominic, for really uh, for giving us uh, the opportunity in a really authentic and at times vulnerable way to step into someone's real life grappling with this, you know, the, this idea of being a smart Catholic, of being able to reach others. It's in a sense, the image that I was getting as you were describing people so deprived around the world, but we have the opportunity to build something. I thought of Noah and the Ark. It's almost like if we're going to help, we have to be building. We have to be doing something with what we're given and provide that space and that opportunity for the person who escapes North Korea or whatever, or the less dramatic thing of someone just growing closer to God and then finding this place that you're building where they can take amazing courses, where they can participate in uh, you know conferences and all of that, that what you're building at home and what you're building out in the world. Uh, is all synced up with with that holy desire to to provide and to grow and and to be to be building up the kingdom. Everybody, you can find Dominic D'Souza at dominicdesouza.com. That's in the show notes and smartcatholics.com. Can't thank you enough for your time, Dominic. It's just been a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Oh, yeah, it's, it was a lot of fun. Thanks, everybody, and please stay tuned for our short feature coming right up. Welcome to the Thriving Catholic Homeschool Blueprint. My name is Paula Siskinik. I'm the co-founder of the Catholic Homeschool Network, Conferences, and Community. I am a wife, a mom of seven, a homeschool veteran of 25 years, my seven children are grown and launched into the world. I'm even a grandma to three with three new little ones on the way this summer. I have gained a vast knowledge of education and in particular Catholic homeschooling education through not only homeschooling my children for the 25 years, but also the wonderful privilege I had of coaching hundreds of families researching, recommending resources as the founder of Manual Books, which was a trusted source of Catholic homeschooling materials for over 20 years. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, this is St. Teresa's bookmark. Let nothing disturb you, nothing frighten you. All things are passing. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Nothing is wanting to him who possesses God. God alone suffices. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. 
You know, recently I asked a question that said, if you could sit down with me with a cup of coffee or tea and ask a veteran homeschooler your top two questions, what would you ask me? Maybe you were one of those 200 people that sent in their responses. The overwhelming top question you'd ask me is, how do I get everything done? I mean, you want to be present to all of your children while still getting dinner on the table, laundry folded, grocery shopping, music lessons, spending time in prayer, living the liturgical year in your domestic church, all while instilling a love of learning by being your children's primary educator. That's super big, super important, right? Let me first uh, start with a little sample of the kind of conversation you would have heard at my house in those homeschooling days. Did you do your math today? Oh, not yet, Mom. I'll get this. How about the essay on Henry V? Oh, not a problem. I'll get it to you. Uh, when will you get this to me? I said I wanted it done last week. Don't you remember? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. But remember? Oh, we went to that first Friday mass. We stayed late. You sat around talking with all the other moms. We didn't get home till way past dinner time. I mean, how could I have gotten anything done? You still had the weekend to do the work, didn't you? The weekend? Mom, I really had no time with all the Saturday stuff we usually do, like cleaning out the mudroom, food shopping. Remember, I went with you and soccer practice. I had to go to that practice in the afternoon. Don't worry, Mom. I'll get it to you. I promise. Did that sound somewhat familiar to you? That's just one of a multitude of go nowhere, make mommy feel totally overwhelmed, and kids not getting any work done kind of exchanges you would have heard many years at my house. How about your home? What do you hear over and over again? You can easily see how my family got derailed from school with just the normal ordinary daily family life, even for something really as beautiful, like the community coming together, the homeschoolers doing First Friday Masses, which we did and we looked forward to. See, we often assign due dates to our kids that are either unclear, not met, or usually look more like a movable due date. <laughs> well, how do we change this? Is it even possible? What does having a realistic, doable, homeschool plan tailored to the unique children with your why, your educational goal, what would that mean to you? See you in the next video. May God bless you abundantly. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you, and thank you for joining us.